Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on advisors, coaches, and mentors, and how they can help you skyrocket your career. In it, you'll discover how they function, why they're valuable, and how to work with them. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 295, getting close to that milestone. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and today I'm speaking to the founder and CEO of Startup Sales, which helps startups develop the sales processes and strategies that they need to get to 10 million and above. He's also the co-host and a mentor at Startup Sales Club, which is a monthly workshop for founders and sales leaders. He has extensive experience himself in sales leadership at a lot of different startups and early stage companies. So he knows what he's talking about. Um, He is based in beautiful Tel Aviv. We are so glad to have you here. Welcome to the show, Adam Springer. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So I'm, I'm so glad that you could join me. And I just shared, you know, the resume bullets basically from your LinkedIn, but that's not who you are as a person. So I would love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners and maybe talk a bit about where you got the passion for what it is you're doing, some of the key stops on the journey to where you are today, whatever you feel like really helps them understand you. Sure. So I think uh, I've always been sales, uh, whatever it is, you know, from selling fireworks when I was younger uh, <laughs> to, you know, go always doing something with sales in different industries uh, before I ended up in tech. And, uh, you know, so I would take uh, neuro-linguistic programming classes as it pertains to sales, you know, the psychological effects of, of how you speak, what you say um, mm. in the sales process, which is by the way, super interesting. So if, if you don't know anything about that, go and get some books. It's a uh, it is fascinating. Yeah. Um, so interesting, just to how much is we we can't see and we can't recognize is happening in the words that we choose, the words other people choose. Exactly. Good stuff. And the pace of how you say things, the tone of your voice, uh, it all has effect. And and especially when you're negotiating or talking or pitching, uh, it really uh, has a strong effect in what's going on. But anyway, so I, I have a strong background in that all my life. And then I came on vacation to Israel, became a diving instructor. <laughs> so really- that's what it does. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's, that was really fun. But, uh, you know, after a couple of years, it's time to come back to reality. Uh, and that's when I went, moved up to Tel Aviv and uh, got, back, got into, back into sales, but uh, specifically into tech sales, B2B tech. Um, and there I've been the first salesperson uh, for three different startups, uh, quickly getting you know zero to a million in under a year and then scaling that up to 10 plus million. Uh, and then from there, I've decided, okay, I'm going to start helping other companies do the same. And mm. I've probably helped now over 100 companies in building out their sales processes and structure. That is awesome. I love the idea of just, um, I had a similar story of how I made it to New York City. I came here on vacation. I didn't stay. I had to go back home, but I moved here about nine months later. And I just, you know, what you do when you're in your early 20s, I sold my car and just moved. Um, It somehow worked out because it's been, man, 15, 16 years, something like that. But um, I love that 
I love that story because I can see, like you said, that passion for sales that comes through and how you've been able to take your experience um, in those companies. I would imagine seeing the challenges, seeing what worked and what doesn't, and to be able to now work with other companies and help them avoid some of the hard lessons that you had to learn must be really satisfying. Yeah. And uh, it's not just what you know, it's a passion. It's 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 fun. It's a game. Uh, mm-hmm. is, if you get into it, then you really like it. It's a game, and it's it's fun to win those big contracts. It's fun to grow and, and see the, the the program and the processes you put into place work. Definitely, I I feel like it's also just one of those roles that, unlike so many other areas of a business, you can have those huge victories and just that that immediate sense of seeing the fruits of your labor. Whereas in so many other parts of the business, you know, yes, you're doing big and important things, but there's nothing quite like, you know, signing a million dollar or more deal. And you get that, you get that signature, you know, the contract comes through and just the elation that spreads within the whole team. Um, there's really nothing like it. And and something that I think if you can find the fun and the joy in sales and have that in combination with a passion for what it is that you're selling and how it helps people, that's just a very satisfying career to be in, um, to, to feel like, you know, I, I, our company does good things for people and I help more people discover that. Right. Well, it has its downsides, though. So it's not without uh, a caution. At oh, yeah. the end of the month you're quarter, on, it's not a lot of fun. Exactly. At the end of or at the end of the month or quarter, it uh, your time resets, and uh, you you all that excitement of bringing in that million dollar deal. Uh, now it's time to do it over again because if you don't, uh, it doesn't really matter. Definitely. I had one client. This was years ago, but they had. Um, they were very early stage and and re- didn't really have a lot of structure in place. And in year one, they had two salespeople that just knocked it out of the park. Just absolutely amazing. Just it, it drove the whole business. And so the next year they expected, oh, wow, we're going to see, you know, that and better and everything is going to be great and fine and perfect. And instead, both of the salespeople just kind of took the year off, I would suppose. <laughs> like, I don't even know. They just they didn't perform. Yeah. And the entire company was built on the expectation that not only were they going to match their numbers from the previous year, but that every other salesperson they had hired was going to hit those numbers. And it's a good thing that they had um, some patient uh, investors because they just crashed and burned in year two and really discovered just because you had that magic of year one, whether it's a psychological thing, whether it's you know, a busyness thing of people feeling like they're coming in and doing customer service on those great accounts they closed the last year. They had they had some gaps in making yeah. the process work. Well, I mean, you need to you need to take into account like there's could have been a multiple different uh, options of what happened there, but sometimes uh, what happens is you hire a, a salesperson for a Rolodex, which has this inherent uh, disaster coming. Uh, another thing could be those two salespeople, they each got like one or two big deals, uh, just kind of fell into the lap and it, everything worked out perfectly. And then they didn't really learn from that and how to turn that into a repeatable process. Yeah. I think in their case, a lot of it also was they got all the early movers 
to um, to like it was a pretty unique project product, and so the people they got in the first wave were all the people very excited about it. And when they tried to get just like normal companies, it was a little harder. But we're not here necessarily to brainstorm this this client from a few years ago. Instead, <laughs> um, I really want to lean on this expertise that you have because um, it, COVID has been you know uh, quite the <laughs> I don't even know what word to use, but th- there is at least one small silver lining that we're seeing in business in, is that how many people have started new businesses and they've taken the opportunity that was unfortunately given to them by maybe losing their job or their job changing in such a way that they weren't interested in it. And we're seeing um, in the U.S. and really across the world, a lot of people having having new ideas, having some motivation and really starting new businesses for the first time. I'd love to hear from you. What are some of the challenges that you see for leaders when they want to scale their organizations, whether it's from that, you know, starting on the dining room table or you've gotten to a certain level, but you're not able to make it to the next level? What are some of the common challenges that you see and what are some of the best practices that you found to address them? Well, I I think we have would have to talk about those two separately because they're so vastly different. So let's break it down into the the person at the kitchen room table, uh, you know, starting your own business and and trying to figure out, okay, what product am I going to have and, and how am I going to sell this? Uh, one big problem is just because you love the product doesn't mean other people will. Mm. Uh, you know, you love it. You understand it. You built it. You created it. It's your baby. You have to be able to explain that value to somebody else, and they have to be able to understand and see that value. Uh, it doesn't matter how cool it is if if they don't <laughs> get that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's both that they won't love it like you do, and they won't get it like you do. And you see so often that those founders, when they're trying to explain something, they skip what they think is the basic implicit information, and their listeners do not have any of that information. And they're like, I had no idea what we're even talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and I mean, let's go a little bit deeper. This is more sales skills, but uh, don't go there and talk about all your functionality and your features. Nobody cares. Uh, mm. Figure out what problem you solve and start speaking to the prospect about that. Start asking specifically questions around what pains they have that you could solve. Absolutely foundational. And so many people don't do that, whether they're founders or experiences, salespeople. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Very tempting to talk about, uh, you know, g- gadgets and pretty <laughs> blinking lights. Yeah. Look how many, <laughs> how many lights blink here. Okay. Yeah. And <laughs> a, a really important thing to keep in mind is it really doesn't matter what you do or how you do it. And nobody really cares as long as mm. you solve the problem. Yes. And so if I tell you I've, I've got, I could solve your problem and it costs, you know, $5,000 monthly and, and it's a, you know, $100,000 problem, they'll buy it. it. The demo and showing the product and everything else is a technicality at that point. If you've, if you've really touched on, on what pain uh, you solve, then everything else is just a technicality. You just kind of have to make sure it works and they'll buy it. That makes sense. So I can I can definitely see that, especially um, very, very early stage when you're even just trying to get other employees, other people to partner with you, really being able to articulate um, 
the problem, the need, and how your solution um, addresses it. That's so incredibly important. So then let's say you're, you've gotten to, um, you know, to, to a, a size where you're, you're a company now, you're not an individual, you're not at your kitchen table, and you're really trying to transition to a company with sales and um, some consistency. What are some of the challenges that you often see in, um, in that stage? Um, well, there's a lot. Uh, let's say you haven't actually started selling yet and the, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's kind of a very similar problem. Like the founder or, or CEO will just hire salespeople and like, okay, go sell. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, you got to hire the right people. Uh, it's very important. And the right person is not somebody that worked at Google and was very mm. successful at Google. Uh, the right person is somebody that has early stage experience so that they know what they need to do. They know that they need to build sales structure. They know how to do it. And they've, they've sold to similar uh, sales processes before to the similar audience, not the same mm-hmm. audience, not the same uh, industry. I, I don't believe that industry experience is important. Uh, it helps, but uh, it has to be like, if you're selling a 5,000 monthly item, uh, then they need to have something around that same price point. Because uh, somebody that has experience with a hundred dollar a month product is going to struggle to sell something that's you know five to six figures annually. Absolutely, absolutely. The, I can't tell you how many salespeople I've spoken to who subconsciously feel like what they're selling is too expensive because they've never sold anything like it before and it just seems expensive to them and they don't know how to speak the language of their buyers or people um, i've seen people who sold b2c like they worked in retail stores and and did other things and then they get hired into consultative b2b sales where they're selling to c-suite executives and they're they're excellent salespeople at a retail level and they're, they're excellent at interpersonal interaction, but they get intimidated when they're in that C-suite meeting. And so just really thinking through, like you said, it's it's not necessarily industry, although that can help, but that just being able to sell to the, the same level of people, you know, a similar um, level of seniority and something at least vaguely similar in the price point. A, a lot of times people don't look for that when they're looking at resumes, but it is an important factor to keep in mind. Absolutely. And, and I would say that with that, it, with that conversation, go, if you've never hired and built a sales team before, uh, go and get help, uh, you mm. know, not from a recruiter because they, they've got an agenda, hire a consultant, mm. have, have that help in hiring the right salesperson because that will kill your business and that will, you know, put you under. Absolutely. I was actually just this morning speaking to a leader and he said what I hear so often from leaders. It takes about two years in his business to ramp up a new salesperson. And one of the things that he's um, talking to us about is how can we shorten that sales cycle? But quite often, um, especially early stage, you're going to have a longer sales cycle. And so if you found the wrong salesperson and you're kind of waiting for results to see if they're if they're the right fit, it can be a really long time where you're investing in the wrong person and not starting to build the right team. And so even just from a time perspective, um, 
making sure that you've that you've got the right people in the seats is so foundational because you really delay the development if you're constantly churning people because you're you're choosing the wrong people. So excellent, excellent point in terms of just working with a consultant to coach somebody who's going to help with the guidance for who you should exactly be looking for. Absolutely. And and you said something earlier as well as about uh, inexperienced salespeople will be afraid of the higher prices and they won't feel comfortable trying to sell the product at the price that it's at. I've got some clients that one in mind specifically that they're, they're at such a low price point right now that they're not going to make any money. And the value is, mm. you know, thousands times higher. And I'm telling them, okay, you need to raise it. You need to raise it now. And they're afraid the founders mm-hmm. and the CEO, they're, they're afraid to go up higher. So don't be afraid to raise your prices either. Uh, even if you're not the salesperson out selling it, uh, that's a big mistake as well. You know, you're allowed to make money. You are a business. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that that also kind of ties to a problem I often see in early stage companies where they will chase anybody who's willing to pay them. And so they might want to sell a certain product or service. And then there's something kind of tangential to that, something somewhat related that somebody wants to pay them for, and they'll do it because they're desperate for the money. And they get pulled in so many different directions that they don't build up um, a specific level of expertise. They don't build up um, that, you know, list of clients who can speak to uh, a very distinct problem that they've solved. Instead, they're working on all these different kinds of things. It's hard on a delivery side to deliver all these different products and services. And I would imagine that's coming from that same psychological place um, of being afraid to raise your prices and just that sense of of scarcity almost um, that they're working from. I, I couldn't agree more. However, I would have to say that's a, a problem later down the road because you said the problem that you're seeing is um, that they'll take money from anybody that's willing to give it, and they'll cha- and they'll they'll like try to get that, which is completely true. However, what I see is in addition to that, they'll they try to get anybody that even isn't willing to pay them yet. They're just trying <laughs> to chase anybody. <laughs> yes, that's a very good point. Yeah. And the earlier you are, and the um, and the less you know, of a track record, you have the less revenue you've ever generated, the more kind of desperate you might feel because you're, you're looking at, you know, all the costs as they, as they increase and feeling like any dollar that can come in is a, <laughs> is yeah. a blessing. Well, a way to look at it is you've got on these highly unqualified people, which is most of the prospects you're going to be speaking mm-hmm. to, uh, you've got a one in a thousand chance of closing them. Yes, there is a chance that this will become a deal, but it's a one in a thousand and it's going to take you 10 hours of work to figure that out. I'd rather work with the one in 10 people that will close and, and spend that, spend those 10 hours on each prospect with those people and turn out a lot better uh, results for the company and myself. Yeah. And I think that um, I know when we've spoken before, that's one of the key tools that you recommend companies develop as buyer personas and really understanding, I think, based on two things that you've said today. First of all, who are those one in 10 kinds of people? And, you know, that that would include things like what's their role or their title, um, what's industry potentially and all kinds of other factors. And then what are they interested in from us? What problems do we solve for them? And having that comprehensive buyer profile is so incredibly important for 
um, you know, both the founder, as well as I would imagine moving forward for every other employee that they're going to eventually bring on. Yeah. And excuse me, it's, it's knowing, it's knowing the buyer persona, it's knowing the company uh, details as well, but it's about being very, very specific. So many people don't want to niche down because they're like, well, we could help these people too. Well, we could, or these people as well. And like, okay, you may be able to help those people, but what you want to do is you want to focus now on the quickest and easiest to win. Um, and the reason for that is, is because it's a different sales cycle and it's a different questions you ask. It's a different uh, form of pain that you solve uh, for different personas and in different industries and whatever. So you really want to be able to, to get a good foundation with one niche, get that into a repeatable, scalable um, process, and then take on another piece of the pie. Uh, but what happens is so many people are like, okay, I want to go after everybody because we solve all these problems for everybody, but then you go, don't get any traction in any one direction. Absolutely. That is such a great point. And again, something that, um, that it's, it's so easy to fall into that trap, um, especially when you see, I can help these people, I can solve this problem. Um, but again, it, it's always helpful if you can, on your website, have a list of you know the different clients you've worked with and they all kind of make sense. Or you can put together case studies and you've got similar case studies showing um, you know, the breadth and the variety of solving a very distinct problem. And that provides the ability to get referrals and to have um, people to provide um, to provide references because you're you're within a, a specific area as opposed to, you know, every time you have a new cl- prospect, it's a brand new industry. It's a brand new problem you're solving. Everything is brand new, a lot harder for, for you. And you have that you have less in common that you'll be able to relate them to any other work you've done, both in the sales side and actually on the delivery side. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then you want to take it the next step, as you, as you were saying about what what problem do we solve for the, these people? And it's so, so often, uh, you know, let's say if we're selling a CRM, you know, oh, okay, we're, <clears throat> we're, we're selling a CRM. We, we solve a problem where people need a CRM to handle all their leads. That's such a, like a shallow pain. And so what you really want to do is you really want to map out the pain that you solve. And what you're looking for is really what is the persona that you're selling to? What is bothering them in their day-to-day life that they may not even mm-hmm. be aware of? Uh, you know, it may be a subconscious thing. So what is something that they're going home and complaining to their husband or wife about you know, <laughs> when they get home that you solve? And that's what you want to go out and, and talk to the people about, because those are the questions that you ask. Hey, do you have a problem with X or do you have a problem with Y? And they're like, wow, you know what? I was just talking to my wife about that last night. That's it. That really bothers me. And, I, and, and it's really frustrating me. It takes up all my time. And you get them to talk about that you're done. You just say, well, you know what? Hey, we, we solve that for you. Yeah. You don't have to sell. They sell themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what you want to do is you want to turn the tables. A salesperson is, is a really good salesperson is not actually selling at all. A really good salesperson is, I mean, it's kind of, uh, you know, uh, I I can't think of the word right now, but it's, it's uh, consultative sales. You know, it's uh, what all the Mm -hmm. taglines are saying, but it's the truth. As a good salesperson, let's just ask the right questions. 
find out if there's really a pain that you could help with. If there's no pain that you could help with, walk away. It goes back to that one in a thousand. If there mm -hmm. is a pain, then you could spend time with them. Definitely. Um, speaking of taglines, so one tagline that we often use is enabling buying in a world of selling. And if you as a salesperson can enable buying, if you can make it easier for people to buy from you, if you as a leader, as a founder, can enable buying by clarifying, uh, again, those what problems are we solving for people? Um, what are they actually going to really connect with? Um, it's so much easier for people to just buy from you as opposed to you, you know, grabbing them around the neck and saying, no, 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 you need this. You want this. <laughs> it's not a whole lot of fun when you're trying to, you know, batter people into, <laughs> into buying from you. Absolutely. And it's, and it's important also to, as a salesperson, to, to understand your customers' uh, buying journey and how that looks mm. because they don't know how to buy. Typically, the people you're selling to don't know how to go through a process and buy a product like yours. It's, mm -hmm. it's very common. So it's your job to facilitate that. It's your job to make it easy for them and to tell them what the next steps are and hold their hand through the process. Yes. Something that a lot of people don't think about is depending. Um, there are some people who are selling kind of commodities that people buy over and over again. But if you're selling, you know, a consultative, uh, maybe technolo technology sale, um, it's pretty unique. This may be the only time this company has ever bought something like yours. Um, yeah. And so you're having to help them discover what questions they should ask. You're having to help them discover, you know, what are the potential concerns in terms of integrations, other things that might trip them up later. If they don't ask the questions, they don't even know to ask the question. So you putting it in front of them actually shows your expertise. It shows that you understand their business. And even though you're raising potential roadblocks and concerns, that's actually demonstrating to them that you'd be a good partner if, if you know, none of those roadblocks actually become prohibitive. And um, so incredibly important to, to just tell people what that journey is if they don't understand it themselves. Yeah, and, and it that's what building rapport is all about, is building trust. Is hey, you could trust me. I'm not here to push a product down your throat. I'm here to help you solve a problem. And we've kind of naturally moved into the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which is kind of the foundational processes and tools that leaders should put into place when they want to set up for success. And so you've talked about things like the buyer journey, things like buyer personas, um, understanding what problems you solve and who you solve them for. What are some of the other foundational tools or processes that leaders should look to establish? Um, well, I, I'm going to reiterate, I mean, I know you just said it now, but the importance of really understanding what problem you're solving on a super deep level. Like, mm -hmm. and, and how I typically do this, if I take a grid, uh, you know, on the left side, I put, I put pain. On the right side, I put pleasure because we know that mm. people want to move away from pain and towards pleasure. And then we have the now at the top and then the future at the bottom. And so you have this quadrant here. And <clears throat> so if we look at the, the pain in the now, these are those frustrations. These are the things that we talked about before where they go home to their spouse and they complain about every day or they, you know, just think about, you know, well, oh, I have to have another one of these meetings. Wow, this is like the third one today. Uh, you know, this is the frustrations. You want to put those down here. Now, then you want to go down and list all the things in the bottom left side, which is the pain in the future. Now, these mm -hmm. are things that the person is scared of. Now, this is like, wow, if you're talking to the CEO, they're scared of 
losing their business. They're scared of having to lay off employees because they can't meet their numbers, depending on what you're selling. But this is what you're scared of. And then you just do the opposite on the other side. And that gives you a really deep understanding of who your clients are, who your prospects are, and what pains they're, they're experiencing uh, and how you could help them. And then from there, then you could build your messaging uh, for both marketing for sales, you, it helps you improve your product, and more most importantly, it helps you know what kinds of questions to ask to get them mm. to start speaking about the problems they have. I I love that because it's so simple, and yet I've I've so rarely seen people think about this and talk about this. It's not just the pain you're feeling now; it's the fear that you have about what happens if that pain continues into future. You know, let's say the pain, the problem is a slight inaccuracy in in a process or in a in a numbers or whatever it is, or things are just a little bit off. You know that if that little, you know, maybe it's um, error rates, and and you're producing something and you have error rates of of that are that are at a certain level. You know that over time that's going to accumulate, and it's you know yes, right now it's just kind of a, a small cost, but over time it's going to really add up, or it could get worse, or it could make the products farther down the assembly line um, not work because you've got that error rate on an early stage product. And so to really understand that there's the pain, the problem in the moment, but that causes bigger problems. You know, like you said you could lose the business. Um, you could you could have a, a major disaster happen if you continue on that current path. That takes the weight of the problem, the weight of the pain, and it pulls that future pain into the present. And it really helps to understand, especially, you know, back to what we were talking about before, if you're selling a, a relatively high cost of valuable solution, um, if you compare it to the pain somebody's feeling right now, it might seem really expensive. If you compare it to the big picture pain that they're going to feel in future, if they don't resolve the situation now, it makes a lot more sense to, yep. to pay what, what they need to pay. And so that can help both you and them to really rationalize and understand that cost. Yeah. And, and it goes also, you know, you take this and it goes to what you were saying before is if you, def in the buyer journey, if you help them and show them how to uh, evaluate your product or service, um, then, and you know, these things now you could have like a, a document where you say, okay, these are the criterias. Uh, if you're going to test us, these are the criterias that you should base us off of. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be looking at us, you have all these, uh, criterias and these things that they need to be looking at and, and testing against to make sure that it solves the problem that they're having in every way that they are not even aware of at the beginning. And that really mm. helps as well, because now you've given them a way to test your product. But not only that, they're going to go and test uh, your competitors' products in the way that you set it up. So it really helps you uh, win against your com competition as well. Definitely. I remember years back, we had a client um, in the CRM implementation space, and they put together a guide for how to select a CRM partner. And because they were working with a lot of companies who'd never had CRM before, they provided, you know, here are the questions you should ask. Here's what you look for. And conveniently, <laughs> they showed up really well in all of those categories and it, it highlighted them really well. And um, while many of their competitors were also good in those spaces, it was like their unique differentiators, their, you know, their best 
um, their best foot forward. And so the more you can define what success looks like, the more you can define um, what people should be concerned about, what should they, they should be focused on, the, the more you make it apparent that you're an ideal partner. And that's a, that's a really great place to be. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you, you're playing to win at that point. You're, you're professional. You're, you're clear and transparent because you're showing potential problems that may arise rather than trying to hide them. It's just a a win-win all around, uh, for you and your prospects. Definitely. Definitely. So often I see that people are afraid to bring up anything that might be, um, might seem, you know, controversial or might seem negative. Um, not understanding that first of all, like you said, it's, it's professional. It shows that you care. It shows that you're, that you're concerned and that you want to, to be successful for them, but you're also preventing for yourself some future pain, (laughs) because if you don't get these out of the way in the beginning, let's say, you know, you sell again, a technology solution and it doesn't integrate well with certain platforms and you don't ask about it in the sales process. And then they start in the implementation process and realize that your system will never be able to connect very well to their system. And they're going to be so upset with you and they're, they're going to want to get out of the contract. Um, It's a really difficult situation. And you could avert that by just saying at the very beginning, here's something that could just completely stop this. If, if we can't match this up, it's not going to be a fit. So let's discuss it and let's figure it out now rather than later. It saves time for everybody involved. Absolutely. That's what we kind of, we spoke a little bit about this uh, earlier in the conversation Mm -hmm. where, you know, trying to sell to people that don't really fit. And that's yep. exactly where it is. It's like, hey, you you are using this software. Uh, we don't integrate with that. Or it, our, the prospects that have used us before have not been happy with us uh, because of X, Y, and Z. Mm. And I'd rather get that out of the way now. Forget the pain of, of, you know, closing them as a client and then they don't, they churn and then you don't get a renewal and the investors look really bad on that. It more so is the lost opportunity cost because I've mm-hmm. spent all this time trying to close you rather than get two or three other clients that would be fantastic uh, growth potential uh, for the company. Definitely. I think this is something people don't always think about on the service side. Um, you know, it's easier to think on uh, a product side, on a technology side about integration and what works and what doesn't work. But I, I see it just as often um, on the service side, thinking about even even, you know, this isn't industry, this isn't title, but this could be culture. This could be um, the way the leadership team works with vendors or thinks about vendors. If you analyze your um, your success and your failure and what's worked and what hasn't over the years, and you can clearly articulate it both internally and figure out a way to message that to clients, it's so incredibly helpful to say, you know, um, if you if you want to continue talking to us, you can. But I will say, everybody that we've talked to who's you know been a founder led company or been whatever, um, they've really struggled with this for X Y Z reason. And and you know you're saying it in a non pejorative way. You're saying just very calmly, like these are the facts, and um, present that to people and really let them you know decide if they want to continue moving forward when you've been the one to raise the red flag, um, not them. And then what you'll see is some people. If, if they really see a need and they really think that they can make this happen, they'll almost work to convince you to work with them. It's the funniest thing. Um, and it isn't, it isn't a trick. You're, you're just being honest and saying, hey, I've got this concern. And you can decide together if you want to work through it or if it makes sense to just move, you know, um, separate at that time. 
Absolutely. My, my, my customer base are, are early stage uh, companies that have five to seven figure uh, average deal size. And so mm-hmm. I don't help the people that are $100 a month, $200 a month. And, you know, when I get on a call, a sales call for myself, and I'm qualifying the prospect and I'm talking to them, and I find this out, I tell them, look, I, I could help you, but it's just based on my opinion. And you're not going to be happy because, I, well, I have a very strong opinion on how to do it for this way. It's not based on any experience and you're not going to be happy with it. Yep. And and again, people appreciate that, even if in the moment um, it can be an uncomfortable conversation to have. I think that, the, you know, having the, the buyer personas like we talked about, having the yes, having the good identified, it's equally important to identify the close but not really sort of category, um, especially as you're transitioning from the founder or one person who's done the majority of the selling to trying to build a sales team. Because what you're going to find as you develop a sales team, one of the easy, the first things that happens is people all go for the lowest hanging fruit and um, they're all start try, feeling, you know, that sense of maybe scarcity. They they don't know how to, how to target, how to find prospects. And the more salespeople that you hire, the more potential risk there is of having all of these um, clients who are not ideal clients, who are um, even opportunities that they're chasing that are those one in thousand as opposed to one in 10. So the pipeline looks good, but they're not, they're not really targeting in the right direction. So to me, that's one of the things that we often see as a challenge when, um, when people are moving to have that sales team. Yeah. I I think, um, you know, as you were talking, I was just thinking about, <laughs> I'm sorry, just be honest, but like I kind of spaced out a little bit and I started thinking, well, like, you know, one of the problems that I'm seeing is, is everything you said is, is absolutely true. But one of the problems is also a lot of companies, they need to focus not on sales first. And, and I know mm. I shouldn't be saying this because I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm the sales guy. They, they should be getting marketing set up first so that mm. when sales come in, the, there's a messaging, there's a brand and, and it's more than just the leads, but also leads help as well. Definitely. And it's not even just uh, marketing, you know, again, sales is important and you, you need to figure out how early you need to start uh, a sales team, uh, especially if you've got a, a long sales cycle. But we've also seen um, companies try to build up a sales function and even build up a marketing function, and they don't have a solid delivery mechanism. They don't have a product yet, or or things aren't really baked, and they're just hoping to get a few clients to kind of pay for that. And if you can't guarantee that you can deliver what you're selling, you're going to find it really difficult to sell, and you're going to find salespeople really struggle to sell. So making sure you've built that kind of foundation where you know, again, you, you have a message, you, you know what it is you're doing, you have your ideal targets, you have a product or a service, something to sell them, um, that sets up to be ready to have a sales team. You're kind of arming them with the material that they need to go out there and start to sell. Absolutely. And I think on top of that, you know, in some of the companies I've worked with in the past, even if you're super early stage, uh, you know, or you know, series A, series B, you're going to have bugs, uh, in, mm-hmm. your, in your product. It's, it's all the time. You, you can't avoid it, but especially when you're early stage and you have a lot of bugs, you'll find that the customers or the prospects don't care as long as you could fix it and you're communicative with them. 
This mm-hmm. is what they care. I've I've closed Fortune 100s in a startup that you know the first year in existence, and we you know set six seven figure deals, and it's not a problem because they know that if something's going to happen, we're going to do everything in our power to fix it, and they know that they could contact us at any time and they'll get a hold of us. That's what's the most important. Definitely. That customer service experience is so incredibly important. Um, it, it doesn't have to be a customer service department. It's just the customer experience. If you're really thinking about that and you're committed to solving problems, uh, people will forgive a lot and they'll be, they'll be willing to work with you because everybody understands that, you know, unfortunately nothing is perfect and stuff goes wrong. It, it actually is one of the best ways to deepen a relationship with somebody yeah. is to go through a challenge together. And you could have, even for example, a vendor that you've worked with for years and years and years, and nothing has ever gone wrong. And there's maybe a little bit of a concern at the back of your mind, what happens if things go wrong? You don't know. But if somebody sees you go through that trial by fire, and they see that you <laughs> you hold up well under pressure, that you communicate, that you're clear, that you're, that you're understanding, um, you're you know, a fast communicator, you're, you're a step ahead, that's a really strong indicator of, of what a quality partner you are because they know stuff is going to happen in future. It's, it, 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 that's the world. And yeah. they've seen how you act under pressure. So it's also just, you know, you don't cause problems just to demonstrate that. But when they come up, um, the way that you handle them is, is a really, um, really important factor. And, and don't, uh, you know, it shouldn't just be the position of the salesperson uh, Definitely. Or, or customer support. Put your developers on Slack, uh, not on Slack, on Intercom. Put them on the on the uh, website chat and let mm-hmm. them actually speak to the prospects and the customers that are having problems. It it does so much for the product uh, because now the developers, instead of just you know seeing one side of it, they get to see actually how the how the prospects and the customers see the product and how they use the product, mm-hmm. um, and it will change. It will improve your offering so much and it will improve the relationship between sales and in uh, the tech team as well. Absolutely. We so often find that um, that the developers don't really, you know, just like founders can fall in love with their product. It's easier for developers to do that or fall in love with certain features or just be stuck in one context. And then they're speaking to an actual customer and they don't have any experience in that customer's seat. They don't understand necessarily what the customer wants and is looking for. And once they have that breakthrough, they're able to solve it, but they're never going to have that breakthrough back in the office, you know, working on coding and working on development. They, they really need to have those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Now, years and years and years ago, I, um, we hosted an event called, I don't want to be a salesperson. I want to be a CEO. And the whole premise of that was so often you find that in startups you'll have, and we've talked about this a bit already, but I want to hone in on it a bit more. You'll have one person or, or just a couple people who are doing the selling. It'll be the founder themselves. It'll be that first sales lead that they hired, um, maybe a partner or, or somebody who's, who's brought in all the business. And now they want to take it from those few rainmakers and build a team around them. Is there anything that we haven't touched on already that you think is important for people to think about and to understand when they're going through that stage? Uh, yes, have everything documented. Mm. You should have a sales playbook at that stage that reads kind of like a McDonald's um, uh, employee manual. It should tell 
it should tell every new hire that you're going to hire exactly what you guys do, the ins and outs of your product, the ins and outs of the company, and what are the rules, how to sell, who the persona is, what are the problems, what questions to ask, how the sales process looks like. And I'm running out of breath, but everything. <laughs> <laughs> it really should, you should be able to hire a salesperson and just have them hand over that manual and they should be able to read it and start selling and be successful with no further training. Absolutely. That's actually what we were talking to that that company that I, I mentioned earlier today that's got the two-year onboarding. Um, what we've recommended to them is that they, they need a sales playbook and we can help them build it out because what we find so often is, especially those, those first few hires, people think, well, I'm just going to have them shadow me. Or, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to have them learn and then we'll figure it out as we go, what the process is. And that's a, a recipe for disaster. It's also just not serving those employees well. And then if you don't successfully onboard people, we see this so often in, in um, smaller companies, you feel guilty because you know, you didn't give them what they needed. And so if they're not successful, you're tempted to keep them around longer and say, well, you know, I didn't onboard them like I should have. So I just need to give them that extra training and then they'll be successful. And it drags on and on and on and on. And by then and... they've already put, put bad, uh, uh, wow, I can't speak uh, at yeah. all tonight, but they put bad uh, <laughs> habits. There we go. Bad yeah. habits into place. Bad habits in place, bad messaging in the market. Um, they've just, they've developed, you know, and it's, it's unfortunate, but. To a certain extent, you know, if you have somebody and you hired them and you onboarded them poorly and they haven't been successful, sometimes you just need to cut that out and and just, you know, first of all, document and figure things out and, and then hire a new person fresh. Because, um, well, I have seen people who who were kind of um, not set up for success and, and didn't get what they needed at the beginning. I've seen people succeed. In that I've seen them turn around, but it's a, it's a lot heavier lift and it's a lot harder than just to say, you know what, we we weren't ready to hire salespeople. We shouldn't have done this, and and let's pause and and start from scratch again because um, it's 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 a psychological. It's a you know you feel that guilt and guilt can make you do a lot of things that are not really great for your business, um, and uh, and that's something I've seen over and over and over again over the years. Yeah, I, I'm. I come from the train of thought where I hire pretty quickly and I fire even faster. I know if it's not working and you're feeling it's not working, it's not working. Let it go. Yeah. <laughs> the number. Know, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, like my sales, my hiring process for a sales team uh, or a salesperson is have a quick phone call with them. You know, I and I that phone call is like five minutes just to make sure they're a human being and to set a set a interview. And then it's the interview and then it's a, a sec, the second interview and then I'm hiring them or, or, or not based off of that. And then if once they're hired and they're getting going, even if it's the first week and you're like, wow, this really was a mistake, you're better off to let them go right then and there. And they're better off too. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you how many companies we've started work with and on day one, We've asked who are the people that you think are probably not not going to be the right fit. You know, they're they're on the bubble, they're struggling, and they'll name three, four people. 
right? And then we say, okay, and have you thought about letting them go? You know, what's what's the plan there? Um, we're not we're not you know recommending you fire everybody, but sometimes people just aren't aren't cut out for it. And they'll say, oh no, we can't, we can't. We just you know we think that because we're working with you, we're developing this program, the training, the playbook, the consulting, all of that's going to help them and they'll be successful. I'm like, okay, well you know we, we'd advise you to if if you think they're not a fit, they're not a fit. Um, and then nine months later, a year later those people are no longer there. And it's like, well, you could have, it's better for them to have an earlier start at their next job where maybe they're, they're more set up to be successful. And it's much better for the company because you know, if you're going to have to replace that role, um, better to know that sooner than later. But um, it's, it's funny how many people are just so hesitant to, um, to let people go if they're not a fit. If they're not a fit, they're just not a fit. They're not a bad person. Um, it just means that there's somewhere else that's better for them. Yeah. It, it's not easy. It's not easy to let people go. You're affecting no. a life, but yeah, you know, you're, you're also by holding on to a bad hire, you're affecting the future of the company, which has a lot more employees, which is a lot more lives that are affected if you fail. Definitely. And I'm a firm believer. If, if you have to let somebody go for performance, they know most people are, are pretty aware if they're not performing, especially in sales where your performance is very visible, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's producing money or not. And so the feeling of not performing, of not being successful every day when you go home must just be such a, such a gut punch. And to feel like, you know, I've got to, you know, physically come into work if you can do that or come in remotely, whatever it is on Monday morning, to just feel like I, I don't think I'm going to be successful this week either. Um, that's got to be demoralizing over time. And yet a lot of people aren't going to quit. Um, they're not going to move on on their own. And so to discover and agree together that it's not the right fit and to, to provide um, a compassionate um, and, and professional exit where you're supporting people out um, can be, can be such an important thing to be able to do. Because um, ag again, if you're thinking that early stage, you're just starting to build your sales team. If, if you have the wrong people, it's, it's much more of a factor when it's, you know, one out of four people is wrong. That's a really big deal that then you've got one out of 20 or 30. I can't tell you how many how many companies I've walked into and to help and and they've had one or two salespeople just sitting there on their hands all day doing absolutely nothing and they've been there for a year plus it's like why just let them go yeah yeah. And it, sometimes you can tell people are almost just waiting for it yeah, and yeah. again not good for them not good for you and it's it, the the message that that sends to everybody around them as well. If it's you're very tolerating a lack of performance, everybody else thinks, well, why am I working so hard? Exactly. It's, it's just <laughs> terrible message. Exactly. I, I wouldn't, I, it, it's such a bad environment to work in as a sales leader, as a salesperson. you know, you've got people that aren't pulling their weight and it's not that they're not pulling their own weight because they're, it's not a lack of, it's because it, it's a lack of trying They're, They just lost all motivation. So they just sit there all day. And if that's acceptable, it's, it just kind of brings everybody down. Definitely. Well, um, I feel like we've, we've talked about a lot today in terms of just the, the best practices people really need to think about. And, and it all comes back to kind of what we said at the end is you've got you've to document things. You've got to develop processes, develop systems, and hire people into them as opposed to just hiring somebody and trying to build a structure around them. And I think that's, um, that's a philosophy that a lot of founders, a lot of early stage sales leaders really need to think about is do you have a structure to hire people into? Yeah, absolutely. And if not, they need to talk to somebody like you. <laughs> <laughs> I, and and before we wrap things up, 
I, w- I would say one other thing that's, I think, mm-hmm. super important that's a, a lot of founders or CEOs uh, make a mistake of is they will hire somebody and then try to manage them. Mm. Don't. If you're hiring somebody and you don't trust them, then you've made the bad hire. Hire somebody you could trust to do the job and stay out of their way and let them do their job because they know better than you. Especially um, if you're hiring a sales leader or you're hiring experienced salespeople and you've never been a salesperson yourself, there are going to be things that salespeople do and say that are counterintuitive as a founder, especially as somebody maybe on the, on the techie side. Um, and uh, again, if you've hired the right person, like you said, that's the important foundation, but then you have to be able to trust them. And if not, you've got to wonder, you know, it's probably that you've got the wrong person or that you're a micromanager and you need to work on that separately. Yep. Let, let go. You don't, you don't need to control everything. All right. Well, I've had so much fun talking to you today, Adam. I feel like we could, we keep talking forever, but probably that's not a good idea. So um, last question I always like to ask is, do you have any books or other resources? It could be podcasts or um, any other things that you would recommend to our listeners. It could be on this topic specifically or just in general. Well, I mean, can I, can I recommend my own podcast? I would love that. Absolutely. (laughs) I have a podcast (laughs) called Startup Sales, uh, where we talk about many of the same topics, but uh, you know, I don't actually read any sales books at all. Um, I've read a couple of them at the beginning of my career and stuff, and I just never liked them. I, I feel like they never go. It's always not from experience. It's always like high, I, what I call blog post uh, titles. <laughs> you know, like there's no depth to it at all. And like, it's like, well, when was the last time you sold? So I don't actually like those. So I've got lots of books I could recommend, but nothing related to sales. All right. Well, do you have like maybe one top book recommendation? It could, doesn't have to be sales. Sure, I had somebody I recommend a Dr. Seuss book. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a book that I really love. And if we could just one second, I'll pull it up. Yep. I just read Endurance by Scott Kelly. It was a, mm. He's an astronaut. And yes. uh, he, it talks about his year in space, although it talks about all of his experience in space and how he got to space. Really phenomenal book and really good storyteller. He really like, you're, you're in there. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. And it was the second book that I read about uh, space because I read another one uh, uh, by uh, Mike Massimino called Spaceman, which also you, th- you think they're both spacemen. They're going to tell the same stories. They're both completely different. So if you're interested in space at all, they really are good storytellers and I recommend them. Love that. I do think that so often people think I need to read business books and I've, I've changed the way I ask this question because first of all, like you said, some people just aren't readers at all. And so podcasts and other things um, might make more sense, but also there's so much that you can learn from non-business books and it applies in a business context. And so if you just think I need to, you know, be shopping in that, that area of the store or that section of the website, um, really thinking through the, those other areas and it's not always you know the standard cliche uh, of sports um it doesn't have to be sports like this it's space it can be anything but really hearing from people that have gone through challenging situations that have had you know had to lead things even if they're not leading a team like like a sales team in a business context (laughs) um, there's still so much that you can that you can relate so i love that um good stuff all right well if you want people to learn more about you and your work where should they go uh, you go to startupsales.io 
or just find me on LinkedIn, Adam Springer. All right. And we'll include links to both of those, um, as well as your LinkedIn in the, um, in the show notes, which again, you can find at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod two nine five. Thank you so, so much for speaking to me, Adam today. I really appreciated our conversation. Thanks Elizabeth. All right, and be sure to tune in for our listeners next week, where I'll be talking to Michelle Benvenisti. She's the Senior Director of Learning and Development at WebMD. If you enjoyed today's show, please recommend us to a friend. That's the best way to help more people discover the show. And if you haven't yet subscribed, make sure to do that so you'll hear every new episode as soon as it goes live. You can subscribe for free wherever you're listening right now. We love to hear your feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts, or email us with direct feedback, questions, and guest suggestions at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook. And don't forget to check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ryland Sylvester and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!